At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I'm looking forward to the opportunity we have to get back into a sermon series we began last Sunday called Perspective. And in this series, we're viewing today's world through a Christian lens. So we began this uh, worldview study last week by, by really looking at um, just the idea that we can anchor ourselves to the God who created us. And so we began our study there, but we're going to continue it today as we look at another aspect of this series. But before I do that, I want to just remind us the importance of this series, because this is a series of worldview, and it's important because we live in a world that has a number of different views. And this is not something that is new, but it's something that actually has been a part of this world from the very beginning. We think about what Paul said to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he said, preach the word, Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry." And that is really the heart behind this series. How can we remain anchored to the Word in the midst of a world that wants to call us to believe in a number of different myths? We need to know what the truth is, the God who is, not just the God that we imagine, and remind us each day to anchor ourselves to that rock. Now, this is the series that we began last Sunday as we looked at Acts chapter 17 together. Today, we're going to continue this study by looking at the issue of us, that we have been created by God on purpose and for a purpose. Now, I show this outline again because I want to remind us that this really is one message spread over four weeks. So if you missed last Sunday, there may be some context that you're missing. And so I would encourage you at some point this week to go back and to listen to the podcast or to watch the YouTube video of the message just to kind of catch up to this idea of what it means to be anchored to the God who is and not just the God that we imagine. Because that is the foundation upon which we'll build today as we talk about the fact that we were created by God on purpose and for a purpose. Now, I mentioned before, this is a series on worldview, and as it is a series on worldview, we're reminded that there are a number of different views in the world that don't line up with biblical truth. One of the prominent worldviews that's out there today is what might be called a humanist worldview. It's the idea that humans, you and I, are all that there is. And this idea is promoted and encouraged by many Uh, One of them is someone by the name of Jeremy Rifkin. And and Rifkin, who's an economist, makes this assessment of his view. I want to go ahead and tell you up front that I don't agree with Rifkin's statement here, but I do think it is an accurate summary of a humanist perspective of the world in which we live. 
Rifkin says this, he says, We no longer feel ourselves to be guests in someone else's home and therefore obliged to make our behavior conform with a set of pre-existing cosmic rules. We make the rules. We establish the parameters of reality. We create the world. And because we do, we no longer feel beholden to outside forces. We no longer have to justify our behavior. For we are now the architects of the universe. We are responsible for nothing outside ourselves, for we are the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Now, some of you, by your laughter, are indicating that you expect a lightning bolt to follow this statement. (laughs) And I understand. But this is a prominent worldview, maybe not articulated quite this way. But it's the idea that if there was a God, he has nothing to do with us today. And we today are able to choose our own adventure, to create our own reality, because we are not accountable to anyone or to anything. And of course, the the problem with that is, it's not true. No matter what he thinks, it's not reality. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to remember that we were created on purpose, and we were created for a purpose, And remembering that will anchor us back to a larger truth that will help us live not just any old life, but will help us to live the life that we were actually designed for, that we were created for. So we're going to see that today. Now, often in our messages, even last week, I will anchor in one passage. Last Sunday, we were in Acts chapter 17. Today, we're not going to be in one passage. Because of the the nature of the message and the ground that we intend to cover today, I'll be bouncing around to a number of different passages. Uh, In order to help everyone keep up, I will put all of the Scripture on the screen today. But it's not true because it's on the screen. It's true because it's in this book that we are putting on that screen. So just a reminder for us, but we will be moving through a number of different verses to help understand this idea that we were created on purpose and we were created for a purpose. So let's begin our study. We were created on purpose. We were created on purpose. This is such a foundational thing, and it's mentioned again and again and again inside of the Bible. We saw it last week as the first line of Paul's sermon to the Athenians when he said, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth. It's a foundational truth that God created everything. But I want us to think about this for a second. God created everything. Did he have to? Did God have to create the Grand Canyon? Did God have to create the Pacific Ocean? Did God have to create the planet Mars? I know what you're thinking. Did God have to create mosquitoes? I get it. Did God have to create the Oklahoma Sooners? Did did God have to create you and me? The answer to that, friends, is no. God is complete. God is sufficient. So, So God did not create us because he had to. He created us on purpose. There was an idea that he had in mind when he created us. And it's powerful for us to remember that. This idea is prevalent throughout the scripture. We see it in places like Genesis 1-1, the very first verse of our Bible. In the beginning, the time that we know of as the beginning, in that moment that was the beginning, God already was. 
And in that moment, God created the heavens and the earth and in the rest of chapter 1, created everything that we know. Out of nothing, God created it. Stuff did not exist eternally. God did. And God created this world intentionally and on purpose. He did not have to. How did he do it? He created it through the agency of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just God the Father who existed eternally, but God the Son existed eternally as well. And through the agency of Jesus, everything that we know of that was created was created through Jesus. We know this by looking at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Very similar language to Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, or Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus created the world in which we live. And this idea is further echoed in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, where it says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It is very clear inside of Scripture, friends, that God did not have to create the world, but He chose to. He created it on purpose. We are not an accident, but we were created on purpose by God through the work of Jesus. Now, when we we think about this idea, I want us to go ahead and order our minds around the nature of creation because we have all seen lots of different parts of God's creation. And because we have seen a lot of the different parts of God's creation, we have looked at a part of God's creation and no doubt we have said, God, you are awesome and mighty because of what I've just seen. What are some of the things that cause us to do that? Well, one of the things that causes us to do that is a sunset. Now, just a full disclosure disclaimer, this picture was not taken in Oklahoma, just, just, just so you know. But, but in Oklahoma, we have some great sunsets, right? Why do I have to go all the way to the ocean to get a sunset that's beautiful? There are beautiful sunsets right here in Oklahoma where the, the clouds bend the, the, the sun and, and causes these beautiful hues to fill our sky. No doubt we have looked at a sunset and we've said, God, you are awesome. You are great and you are mighty. <laughs> Think about the ocean we, we, we look at the expanse of the ocean and we look at the beauty of the shoreline. We think, God, you are, you are big. You're so much bigger than I can even comprehend. Just as I can't see the end of this body of water, so I cannot see the end of you. You are just that much greater than me. We, we, we've seen such things. Or we've stood at the base of a sequoia tree. This is a, a picture at Sequoia National Park just a few summers ago. And our family stood beneath the, the biggest living thing on the earth and looked up at it. And just like, whoa, look at the size of that tree. Just enormous, enormous tree. And it's like, God, you are, you are great and you are mighty and you are awesome. Or we've stood on a mountaintop and we've looked out. This particular picture taken in the Golan Heights in Israel overlooking the Sea of Galilee. We've seen those mountaintops and we say, God, this world that you've created demonstrates something of your beauty and your your majesty in different ways. And friends, we are used to looking at different aspects of God's creation and through those things that we see, giving him some kind of praise or, or glory. But here's the thing. None of the things that I just talked about are the pinnacle of God's creation. None of those things are, are 
the capstone of, of what he has done. Even in the order of creation, God created all of those things first before he created the final thing that he created. What did God create at the end of day six of the creation account in Genesis 1? He created us. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created us and he created us on purpose as the, the, the crowning achievement of his creation. It would be like a, a drum roll is building, right? And then when the top hat is hit, it's, it's this moment of climax when the symbol is struck. The creation account ends with this triumphal moment of God creating some ones in his image. This is who we are, friends. We are God's creation, created on purpose by him. This amazing thing. Even when you look at the creation account, it says again and again in Genesis 1, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and it was good. And God created the water, and he filled them with animals, and it was good. And God created all of the birds and the animals on the ground, and it was good. Good for what? It was a good world for you and I to live in. God arranged it all before he brought us onto the scene. Friends, that is an amazing truth for us to wrap our minds around. We were created on purpose by God. Unless we begin to think that God's creation of humanity was just something with Adam and Eve, and then he's had his hands off of that process ever since, God is still involved in the creation. Now, he uses natural processes. But God is still intricately involved in the continuation of humanity. Look at what David said in Psalm 139, written about 3,000 years ago. David said, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of of the earth. Friends, you are not an accident. Someone may have told you that before, but you're not. You're here on purpose. There's a God who is sovereign over this world, and it was in his good plan for you to be here. And not just you alone, but it was in his good plan for all of us to be here. One of the great truths of Scripture is this reminder that it's not just a handful of people who are created in the image of God. That would be amazing. But it's that all people are created in the image of God. Look again at what we see in some of these verses. In in Paul's message that we saw last week to the Athenians, he said, God made from one man every nation, not just one nation, not just the nation of Israel, not just the, the, the Greeks, not just the Romans, but God made every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. 
God is interested in all of us. His image is imprinted upon each of us. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. Because of these verses, I don't have to wonder if you are someone that I should care about. I don't have to wonder if if you're someone who has immense value. I don't have to run through a grid to say, does that person have the right skin color? Does that person have enough resources? Does that person like the same sports teams that I do? Does that person whatever? I know that you have value because it's not anchored to any of that stuff from which we want to derive meaning. It's anchored to the fact that you are created in the image of God. And that's not just true of you or me. It's true of all people. So if I meet a person, I know who I'm talking to. Somebody who's created in the image of God. And that reminds us that even though in this world there are a lot of things where we want to break people down into demographics, and we want to, one of the demographics we want to break people down into is this issue of race. If you filled out a form recently, you'll, you'll find that form on there. But we need to remember that the Bible doesn't begin in how we're different. The Bible begins in what we have in common, that we are created in the image of God, and that means that we're actually a part of the human race. The next time someone asks you, what, 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 what's your race? You can respond that I'm a part of the human race. And it's not just something you would say to be cute. It's something you would say to say that, you know what? I have more in common with every other human on the planet than I've ever remembered or realized in the past. We all were created in the image of God. Therefore, we would relate and care for one another regardless of anything else because we understand the imprint of God that is on our lives and on our soul. We've got the same Father who created and who is sovereign over this. So we understand the reality of where we are. Now, because of this and because of this truth, it really drives home the fact that that we are able to empathize and sympathize with tragedies that happen among all people all over the earth because there is a component of that tragedy and of that suffering that we can relate to. Regardless of anything else in our life, as fellow human beings, we can recognize that it is a tragedy when someone created in the image of God is not treated with the respect that they deserve. I mean, think about this. You know, one of the big events of the 20th century was the Holocaust in in Europe. And we, we think about the, the Jews that were rounded up and sent to these extermination camps, and some six million Jews died in these camps. And we think, wow, that, we're, we're familiar with that. We've, we've seen the movie. We've, we've heard the story, and our heart breaks for the reality of that and the tragedy of that experience. But also our heart should break for the reality that Chinese Muslims are being rounded up and sent to camps today in China, right? I mean... The Chinese Muslims are also people of value created in the image of God. Therefore, our heart should be moved for the reality when a person, regardless of their experience, when someone is gunned down on the streets of a major U.S. city or a baby is aborted in a clinic in Cleveland County. They both are lives that we can mourn the tragedy of their loss. Friends, 
we don't have to run through a grid to say, does this death or this tragedy matter? Is that one of my people? Guess what? It's one of all of our people. We are, we are a part of the same humanity. God created each of us on purpose and instilled dignity inside of us so that when anyone is mistreated on this earth, that there is a sense where there is a grief and a mourning that we can connect with that experience. We don't have to ask, did the right person live or did the wrong person die? If they're a human being, they are to be treated with dignity and with honor because they're created in the image of God. Now, when I, when I say this idea and I begin to walk through this, I, I think about a quote that C.S. Lewis uh, gives. Lewis says this, he says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Now, there may be a sense where you think that's a little bit of hyperbole, but remember what Lewis is trying to anchor us back to. The, the people are created in the image of God. So as we interact with one another, there is something of immense value right there. The, the Bible is, is God's word and it's true and we need to anchor to the truth inside of it. But the cover of this Bible is not extra holy, right? It's, it's just a piece of linen. It's just a piece of cardboard. But there is no just piece of linen or cardboard when it relates to David or Courtney or Bryce. We are people who are created in the image of God, men and women. And so we have inherent value inside of us because we're created in God's image. And so the question that I would ask us is this, where do your attitudes or actions need to be adjusted regarding those around you? If we are created in the image of God and everyone around us is also a person who is created in the image of God, Are we treating people with the dignity and honor that they deserve as people who are created in the image of God? You know, I'm not someone who believes that every act in the world is racist or that one group of people is inherently racist just because of their existence. I think, but I I also think that racism is a sin that still exists in the hearts of many And so my challenge to us in light of these verses is to search our hearts and to examine our actions. And if we find in our hearts or in our actions mistreatment of another person on the basis of the color of their skin or their ethnicity, that we might repent before God of that action. And we might seek to ask for the forgiveness of the one that we have mistreated in that process. But I would go beyond that and say that this principle doesn't just apply to issues of ethnicity, but it applies to our treatment of anyone. You know, as human beings, we are amazingly capable of creating categories of individuals that we want to ignore or discount or discredit. Well, we're amazing at that, right? I don't have to help you because blank. I don't have to care about you because of blank. You're less than someone that I need to value because of something that you've done, something I don't like. And, you know, if we're honest and we reflect on our lives that there are a category of people that we have put in a box and said, I don't have to care about them. And I'm not talking about just people you see on television. I'm talking about somebody that you walk among on your street or you work with at your office or is in your family and will be at the family reunion. There there are people that you have discredited, that you have walked away from, that 
this morning, you might be called back to the notion that they are someone created in the image of God. Therefore, they have value. What is the parable of the Good Samaritan all about? It's about being a neighbor to the one you don't want to be a neighbor to. It's a reminder that we are created in the image of God. How might we respond to this message? Something we need to see. So we've seen so far in our message today that we were created on purpose by God. But we need to keep going. Because if we were created on purpose, then don't you want to know why? I mean, we were not just created on purpose, but we were created on purpose and for a purpose. God didn't have to create us, but he did. Why did God create us? What is the meaning of life? This is something that has, you know, really perplexed philosophers since the beginning of time. And though you may not have put a category on it quite like this, it's something that might keep you up late at night from time to time. What is life really all about? How do I know that my life matters? What am I supposed to be doing? These are the big questions of life that we, are, we need to wrestle with. But we need to begin by going back to say, okay, if I was created on purpose by God, then he created me for a purpose. So what is that purpose? Well, this is not just something that has been debated, uh, you know, over coffee at the, at, at the local Starbucks. This is something that also has been debated by theologians and, you know, people like that since the beginning of time. One group of theologians back in the 1600s put together something called the Westminster Catechism. And in that, through a question and answer kind of a format, they articulated what they believed the scriptures indicated was the purpose of our lives. Their answer to that question is that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Why are we here? We were created on purpose. What is that purpose? The purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In other words, our purpose is intimately connected to him. And if we live our lives for him, we will find a level of joy in life that is not found anywhere else. This is the general notion of this statement. This idea is not something that's just unique to the Westminsters, but it's something that is prevalent in a lot of places. Even Wildwood as a church, when we talk about our mission statement as a church, we say that we are for following Jesus together. You may know how that ends? To the glory of God. We understand that we are here, we exist as a group of people in order to, to give God glory and honor. That, that's, that's why we're here. It's why we're here as individuals. It's why we're here collectively as a church family, is to give glory and honor to Him. But what, what does that really mean? Well, we'll get to that in just a second. But before we do that, I want to just remind us that there are many things that we can do, right? There are many things that we can do. But there are only certain things that we are created to do. There are many ways we can spend our lives. There are many activities we can participate in. But there are only certain activities that we were created for. God is specific. Remember, we saw that last week. Not just the God we imagine, but the God who is. And so how do we know the the specifics that we were created for, and why does it really matter? Well, As I argue for why it would matter, I want to just talk about this television for a second. Now, some of you out there have been looking at this thing for weeks now. 
and you're wondering, how big of a TV is that? I'll tell you, it's a 65-inch television, okay? So we have a 65-inch TV that is sitting here that has been created for a specific purpose, right? It's to project an image. That's why it was built. That's why it was created. Now, I can use this TV to do a lot of different things, right? I could use it as a dartboard. Now, I could reach in my pocket, and I could pull out some darts, and I could turn, and I could begin to throw them. Now, some of you just skipped a breath, right, at that dartboard. Now, if, if I were to do that, the first dart that hit that screen might not break it. But if I throw enough darts at that screen, what will happen? It'll crack. It'll shatter. If I continue to do it, one might actually stick, and it might ruin the the function of the screen altogether. Why? Because this was not created to be a dartboard. Can I use it for that purpose? Yes. But if I do, what will happen? It will be destroyed. Now, when I began this illustration, and you saw where it was going, some of you had compassion on this screen. Some of you like Jonah with a little tree that grew over his head, wanted to save the screen from the destruction that you saw was coming. But friends, all too often, when we look at our lives, the lives of someone we care about, and we see that they are living their life, throwing darts at their lives, living in a way that God never created them to live, we don't lift a finger and we don't say a word. Because we live in a world that says, be nice and don't challenge. But if we really love someone, why would we let them throw darts at their screen? We were created on purpose and for a purpose. We were created to project the image of God in the world and to live in relationship with him. Why would we let anyone we love and know and care about, which was who? Anyone on the face of the earth, why would we just stay silent and watch their lives shatter into a thousand pieces when God has given us a better way? What does it mean and what does it look like for us to live this life? Well, what was I created for? Well, one of the things that we were created for, we were created to live in a glorifying relationship with God. That's what I mean. This could be almost a, a headline over the top of this entire conversation. We were, lived, we were created to live a glorifying relationship with God, to, to relate to him. We saw this last week in Acts 17, where Paul said to the Athenians that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way to him. Even the Athenians, even those who were living in a, this far out secular life, Paul said, God longs to have a relationship with you. He wants you to feel your way back to him. He wants to be in relationship with you. Paul says, that's why I'm here to point you in that direction. It's also, we see this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21, where God says, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Why were we created? We're we're created to live in relationship with God, to declare his praise, to, to live connected to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
Jesus' death on the cross saved us from our sins. But Jesus didn't save us and give his life just so that we could go back to living the same self-destructive, destroying life that we were before. But he longs that we would live a life connected to him, glorifying him. What does it mean to, to, to live out our lives, to live the life that we were created for? It means to live a life in a glorifying relationship with God, connected to him. But more specifically, how might we flesh this out? Well, it means to be God's steward upon this earth. To be God's steward upon this earth. God has, has sovereign power, authority over all of the universe. So we are literally just living in his world. And as we live in his world, we await his return. And until he returns, we have a job to do. And that job is to be a steward over God's things in God's world. Well, what does that look like? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 gives us a clue. It says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over it. Part of what it means to be God's steward is to, to raise children. This is, this is part of the idea that we would raise up children over the face of the earth. It's, it's part of why we are here. And judging from the children's building, y'all are pretty good at that, Right? I mean, there are a number of kids in this place. We're, we're filling the earth. It's part of God's intention for us. It's part of his purpose as his steward, raising up people, also created in the image of God, to live in relationship with him. But, but not just physical children, but also spiritual children. I mean, God's plan for all is not to have physical children, but his plan for all inside the church is to have spiritual children, to raise up those and point them to Christ, that they, would, that they would know him as well. And not only that, but to have dominion over the earth, to rule over it and to subdue it. What does that mean? Is that something that only has some kind of significance or meaning if we're a farmer or a rancher of some kind? The answer to that is no. The idea of having dominion over the earth and ruling over it and subduing it just has the idea of bringing order and structure to the things that God has placed inside of the earth. If you're an accountant, you're bringing dominion to the numbers to present them to your boss for the sake of your company. If you're in business, you're bringing dominion to some product, answering a problem that humanity has and helping deliver in an efficient way how those things might play out. If, if you're an educator, you're taking dominion over a, a, an area of information and organizing it so that people created in the image of God would better understand the world that God created. If you're a parent, you're living in, in dominion to that house and raising up people with a certain character and quality. Friends, this is what it means to, 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 to live inside of our created purpose is that we would be a steward on the earth. But it's not just a steward of the physical world, but it's also a steward of the spiritual world. We think of the spiritual world that, that exists around us. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 25, right before he ascends into heaven, and he says, look, one day I'll come back like a, like a landowner who comes back and visits his servants and expects them to give a return on their labor. Jesus says, I'm coming back one day, and when I do, you'll have to give an account for your life. How did you invest the spiritual resources that I've entrusted to you to help take the gospel, not just to this place, but to the ends of the earth? He says in Matthew 25, 19, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came, and he settled accounts with them. 
Rifkin has it wrong because God has not disappeared. But God is coming back. And we will have to give an account for our lives. So one of the things that we do today is that we are stewards of God's gifts that he's given to us while we live out our lives upon this earth. Another aspect of this is to reflect God to others, that people might come to know more of the the character, the capacity, the love of God, all of those things as they relate with us. Psalm 67 and verse 7, God shall bless us. Why will God bless us? That the nations of the earth would fear him. Not only do we see this idea in the psalm, but we also see it very clearly and much more explicitly in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What what is our, our life about? Well, part of it is to live out a life connected to our God in such a way that even those who don't yet know God might look at us and see a different quality and character to our lives. To reflect God to others, to be like an arrow that points people to him. Also to follow him wherever we go. Remember, it was Jesus and his great commission that says that we are to teach them to observe all that he has commanded us. In other words, we're not just to be obedient in one area, but we're to follow Jesus in all of the different areas of our lives. But not just following him in, in all of the different moral areas of our lives, but also to follow him wherever we go, in all of the different venues of our life. Psalm 139, verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? Friends, we are called to follow Jesus in obedience and in faith in every realm of our life, in every area, every moral area of our lives, but also in in every venue of our lives. So that Paul would make a statement like this and it would make sense. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This is what we were created for. It's the life that we were created to live. And then lastly, we might summarized to say to love others in Jesus' name. It was Jesus himself who said to his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So our lives and the meaning and the purpose of our lives is not left for us to just decide. There are some general categories that God has has aimed us in. He said, we're not to be a dartboard, but we are to be a projector, to project his image into the world and to follow him in all of the areas of our lives and to steward his resources while here upon the earth and to love others in Jesus' name. This is what we are called to do. And and we're called to do that everywhere we go, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ with us as we go there. So when I go through this list and I reflect upon why we're here, and the purposes for which we are created. The question I have for us is this. How will you spend your life? How will you spend your life? All of us will spend our life doing something. How will you spend yours? 
And I don't want you here to do an autopsy on the past 20 years of your life. Sometimes when you talk about this, people begin to immediately look backwards and think about all the ways they wish they'd done it differently in different eras of their lives. I don't want you to do that today. Instead, I want you to look ahead. But the problem in looking ahead is it's hard for us to wrap our brains around all of the days that lie in front of us. So here's what I want you to do. I I want you to think about the next era of your life. When will it end? Right? For some of you, it'll be the end of the semester. For others of you, the end of the school year. For others of you, until the promotion comes through or until the house is built and you move to the new location or until the kids leave home or until whatever. But think about that. What, what is the end of the next era? Fix a, an end point. I don't care if it's two weeks, two months, or 10 years, but, but think of what the next era of your life is. All right. Now, when you think about that, understand this. Those days are numbered. You just did some math in your head and you numbered them when you said this era is over at that point. Psalm 139.16 says that's a principle that applies throughout our lives. It says, God, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God understands our days, but, but you just did the count. You know that there is some fixed number of days between now and the end of the next transition era. And here's my question for you. How will you live out the purpose for which you were created in that next era? Don't don't sit here and say, well, I will begin to live out my purpose when this next thing happens. No, no, no. How are you going to live it out now in this era? You were not just created for any life. You were created for a specific life. How will you live that out now? What would it look like for you to live out that life in this era? Because all of us will give an account for our lives. Again, Paul said last week, the conclusion of his sermon to the Athenians, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We will give an account of our lives to our Savior one day. How will you have spent yours? How will you have invested Well, one last verse I want us to see as we think about this concept of we're being created on purpose and for, for purpose is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. In this verse, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This word here translated workmanship, that word also could be translated masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Well, when I say that we are God's masterpiece, what do you think about I'll tell you what I think about. What happened? If we're his masterpiece, why is this world so hard? Why is this world so broken? Why is this world so sinful? And how do we respond in the midst of that? Friends, that's where we're going to be next Sunday as we think about continuing to orient our minds around the purposes of God. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just the chance to recalibrate today around your truth. I pray that we would be a a people who would just remember at all times that we did not create you, but you created us. Therefore, our purpose derives from you. So Lord, may we live out that purpose faithfully today, this week, in this season, in this era of our lives, to your glory 
and for your purpose. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.